Welcome to the Camera Shake Podcast, episode 30. Episode 30 is very reminiscent of episode one because, again, we're filming from home. It's another national uh, lockdown in the UK and uh, we have to work from home. So I am in my house over here and uh, Nick... I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> this is like... In many ways, you know, it's, it's a thing. I was thinking about this this morning. I kind of thought like, well, actually, this is much easier because, you know, working from home is always easier, right? Because you can just set up and you can, you can do it in your own time. But the, the truth is it actually takes me way longer to set this up at home than it takes to drive over to yours. Not an hour ago, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. I was thinking, God, this is really annoying to set up. Because at least, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously, as you, as you know, um, with the, the the set that we're using, I pretty much leave that set up other than gear yeah. all the time. I've just rearranged my 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 room to accommodate that, and it's, it works really mm. well. Um, but now this is it, it feels it looks like it's the same setup where I am, but actually it's not. It's completely different now. <laughs> I've had to do it. Everything's yeah. had to move move out. And if you check, um, if you if if you manage to see our story earlier on this week when we're filming this right now. You'll see. Actually, it's a bit of a mess around here. <laughs> I'm not very happy about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, it really does feel like we're back where we started, right? Yeah, it does feel like that. It does, and I, yeah. I don't mind it. I quite. I mean, I'm enjoying this setup, but um, it's a pain. It's a pain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. Well, I think what we've done over the first like 30 episodes is we kind of. We, we made it easier and easier on ourselves to to produce what I feel were like, you know, podcasts that got better and better over time or podcast episodes that got better and better over time. And and now we're back where we started, but we've got all the experience of 30 episodes behind us, which in a way makes it much easier. I think it does. Um, oh, th- that said, though, we haven't done one of our, you know, just us for a few weeks now because we've had so many yeah. guests on. Um, and then we had our um, kind of lockdown special, if you like, too, in amongst all of that. Um, so actually we haven't done this on our own for, for a while. So <laughs> so how do we do this again? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, been, a, it's been quite an eventful, eventful few weeks because, um, mm. you know, lots happened. We're back in national lockdown. And in fact, we're like a whole week in, are we? Two, two week, two weeks, or oh, two weeks even? Yeah, yeah, it's the middle of November. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, two weeks in. Yeah, so halfway through, hopefully. Uh, hopefully, yeah, we we uh, we shall see. But I have to say, other than some shops and you know bars and pubs and things like that being shut, it doesn't feel like we're in lockdown outside. The roads are just as busy as they normally are. There's a, more people on the streets than I think I've seen in months as well. It's um, it's really strange, and I'm I'm getting out and about every single day at the moment because um, I've got a little project un- underway, um, which I'll, I'll I'll tell you about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm seeing what it's like every day, and it's not doesn't feel like it out there. Yeah, it's, I think you know last night. Uh, well, last night, last weekend was probably the first time um, that it it occurred to me that something was different because I was, uh, you know, I was taking my daughter back to, back to Milton Keynes um, in the evening. I was on the, on the motorway and it was, it was significantly less traffic than there would normally yeah. be. That's, but that was really the first time I've actually noticed it. Other than that, it just seems like not that much has, has really changed. Um, 
you know, I'm also I'm really surprised to see so many so many different shops open or or being classed as like essential essential stores. You know, um, like you know, toy shops. Although my daughter would disagree with me, <laughs> she would think they're totally essential. You know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, um, it doesn't you know it doesn't seem it's definitely not not as uh, as harsh a lockdown as it was the first time around. No, sure. no, it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. and. You know, it's funny you mentioned about essential shops. Um, I, I, I won't name <laughs> anyone or any shop in particular, but mm. um, I understand it that bike shops have been allowed to remain open. Mm. So I do know that there is someone out there who has, um, runs a completely different type of shop and has just moved some of his old bikes in there to, um, oh, really? to sell. And uh, yeah. Has managed to remain open. Yeah, I'm not I, judging I that. F- That's. Mm. I contemplated the idea of uh, maybe selling muffins. You know, really expensive muffins <laughs> with a free photo shoot to go with it. <laughs> you know, so, something like that. <laughs> but um, but no, I mean in reality, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we all have to do a bit. So exactly, you know, exactly. So that's the thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what have you been up to over the last couple of weeks? Because I haven't actually, I've really seen you in person for a little while. No, no, we've been, uh, yeah, we obviously we talk every day on the, over FaceTime or, or Zoom or whatever. But um, it's been surprisingly busy, um, which mm. is great. It's actually put me in a, a better mood because if I'm I'm brutally honest, prior to that, I was really, really feeling the the effects of the last few months, it's kind of hit me quite mm. quite hard in a, a way I wasn't expecting. So I kind of I spent a couple of weeks really trying to process that and deal with that and, um, you know, coming 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 through it um, now. But um, it's really helped to have been quite, quite busy. And, you know, their, their projects of, of, of footage that was filmed prior to lockdown coming in, um, so there's been a lot of work being, being done on that. Um, and I started a new personal project, um, you know, as part of, um, you know, a couple of episodes ago, obviously we did our lockdown special where we had, um, a few of our prior guests on and a couple of them mentioned things around personal projects and keeping yourself creative during this time. And it reminded me of when we had our weekly challenges going on too, in the first lockdown. And I thought, I need to do something. So I've actually started going out in my hometown, and I only live in a little little village, and taking a photo every day of something that resonates with me on that particular day. doesn't matter whether it's raining. It was pouring the other day, and I managed to get, a, get this maybe 15-second <laughs> sort of break in the rain to take a photo. And so I'm going to do that for the next few weeks. I'm going to go out every single day. It gives me a reason to get out of the house, get some fresh air, take a photo, and I'm putting it out there on, on my Instagram. And that, that's it. And I've loved doing it. Um, tried my hand at black and white photography yesterday as well, which was um, fun. I don't do that normally. And, um, you know, learning a couple of new little sort of techniques that help around um, black and white photos. Mm. That, that was good fun. That was really good fun to do that. And, and there's a reason I don't normally do black and white photography. It's, and it's mostly because um, I find that it gets used at the wrong times. And what I mean by that is 
I often see black and white photos where the color photo wasn't great. Mm-hmm. So they've just turned it into black and white because it gives it a, an edge. <laughs> but it's still not a great photo, so we want to see it constantly. And that's cool. I've kind of shy away from black and white photos because of that. Um, but I thought, oh, I'll just do it on this. It kind of made sense to me for that this particular image to be in black and white. Um, you know, it's, it was a photo of um, just this passageway in uh, Eton. It's my if I was to to live anywhere, it'd be down this this road. And they're really really old cottages down there, and yeah, it's, it's closed off with a private gate, and it's got those I, I don't know, would you call it Tudor kind of the wood cladding the black and white you know that oh, yeah. kind of stuff mm. and because it had black and white already in there as well it kind of felt oldie worldy and it kind of made sense to make it black and white so I, so i did mm. and yeah led me down a bit of a rabbit hole of um <laughs> looking at um sort of appropriate ways to um edit black and white photos but oh. yeah so i'm going to carry on doing that over the next few weeks and yeah like i say loving it i couldn't recommend a little project like that you know, talking about personal projects, um, I was in a meeting um, a few days ago and one of the people in the meeting uh, said something along the lines of like, you know, uh, so what's your plan for this uh, for this lockdown? You know, what what are your planned achievements? And I kind of thought, you know what, in this this time around, in this lockdown, um, I want to create some content that helps other people and, it, you know, something that helps other photographers, for example. And we made a start, uh, start on that with the lockdown special that we brought out a few weeks ago, which, um, you know, was a really good insight into how you can prepare yourself, not only from a business perspective, but also mentally um, for a period like this where, you know, you have to effectively shut your business down and you may not have any income. Um, and that was really, really useful. And I think, you know, based on on the responses that we've had to that video, um, it really goes to show that, that uh, there were a lot of people out there who actually found that very helpful as well, which is, you know, which is fantastic. But we've been talking about a project that we've got in the pipeline um, that's particularly aimed at musicians because both you and me have a a background in music. Um, And of course, musicians are pretty much in the same boat. I mean, you know, if you're you're a full-time musician, you're pretty screwed right now. There's no gigs, you know, there's no, uh, no venues open. It's dead. And, uh, and you might be suffering. And so uh, we're not going to give away too much at this point, but we're working on a project that hopefully, you know, will help um, some of our friends somewhere along the line. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I couldn't be more excited about um, that project. And like you say, we won't give um, too much information away just yet. Um, but it's, you know, yeah, being a musician myself and, um, and a regular gigging music until until coronavirus a regular Mm. gigging musician as well um you know it's hit me hard too and i know that if what we're going to offer was available to me so to speak oh god i would really appreciate it and that's why i'm so excited um about being able to do to do this one over the coming weeks yeah and you know uh, in the words of the great tesco which is a supermarket chain over here in the UK, you know, every little helps. <laughs> That's really the basic, the basic thinking, isn't it? Um, so hopefully we get, uh, you know, some of our friends involved in, uh, in making this happen. Um, but even if not, we'll do it anyway. So that's, uh, that's also one thing I've learned is if you're, you know, if something's really close to your heart, 
then, you know, you might as well just do it, you know, irrespective of, um, you know, of, of who else you can, you can get involved, just have to get it done. So that's what we'll do. Uh, but you'll hear more of this um, over the next few weeks, I'm sure. It should be quite exciting. But yeah. So talking about photography, um, you've been out and about taking some pictures um, around around Eton, which is where you live. Um, I've had a think about creating some images at home, um, not too dissimilar to, uh, to the kind of images that we made last time around. But we should really think of another little photo competition. I think you're absolutely right. Um, we need to do something. Got to um, share the uh, competition urge with everybody out there. That's what I need to do. <laughs> That's it. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah, let's have a think about what we could do. Uh, we'll have a think about it and we'll come back to you at the end of the show. Um, and uh, maybe we've had an idea as to what kind of photo we could create um, whilst we're stuck at home. So I was reading an article um, earlier earlier today, actually, and this might be an interesting thing that we could do. Um, it was um, so. There's this guy called Jason Page, and he's taken uh, a Polaroid camera which has a bulb setting on it, mm-hmm. and he's been taking portraits um, of of people, but light painting portraits. So what he's done is he's, set, he's setting up his Polaroid camera, set it to bulb mode, it's on a tripod, and he is using a light stick like what we're using when we're um, light painting uh, the cars that we've been doing over the last few few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's light painting the, the, the portrait kind of normally, so to speak, but then he's using um, uh, other things like um, fiber optic lights you know use like 50 of them on a kind of stick you know and they just fl- like a floating around they, they, they are those type of type of lights and then he's also doing you know kind of fancy artistic style kind of light painting you know typical light painting that you might expect and then he's stopping the the uh, the camera and they're really good they're oh, really really, okay. really cool. good they're really interesting to look at and it's just a different way of of doing it. Um, one thing that um, he was quite clear on was make sure it exposes. Uh, you don't expose it in the in daylight, so to speak. You just expose it where you are. And the yeah, obviously it being done on a Polaroid looks great anyway. It's a Polaroid. You've got to love a Polaroid. And um, this you know just standard kind of light painting techniques in it. Combining the two, mm. the result is very cool very very cool highly urge you to check that one out it's worth a watch but we could do something like that mm. and we could combine it with product photography <laughs> so we can do product <laughs> photography yeah. light painted using a polaroid <laughs> yeah yeah i did some i did some food photography the other day um which is sort of as a potential uh showcase for you know for a potential client basically and um and that was uh, that was quite cool. It made me so hungry, though. It's, I don't know if I could do. I don't know if I could do full time uh, food photography because no. really, I'd be eating all of it. Yeah, but um, just burgers, man. <laughs> yeah, just burgers. That's yeah. it. Should specialize. I feel. I feel but like I'm in an in uh, in falling down and going into the burger joint, and saying, "I want a burger that looks like that, <laughs> not this." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's you know, it's fun to stretch out sometimes into things that you don't uh, you don't usually uh, do a lot of. Yeah, you know, so um, so I quite enjoy that, and you know, it's not. Um, yeah, so I mean, working from home has definitely has got its advantages, but um, but yeah, you know, it's it's funny to think that you know what's funny actually is that the last photo shoot that we did together before the la- the first lockdown was a car, right? It was an automotive shoot, yeah. And then the last photo shoot that we did together before this lockdown was also a car. That's right, absolutely was, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, although although we went up in the world of cars, I think. Uh, in in March or something, it was a it was a Toyota Rav Four. This time it was a this time it was a Ferrari. So, <laughs> which definitely somehow moved up. Oh, it was a Ferrari and a TT. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a Ferrari and a TT. That's yeah. right. Double yeah. double whammy. Yeah. See, this is something I took away from. I think um, I can't remember who exactly said that in the uh, uh, in the lockdown special episode, but um, it was suggested that you'd keep some of the some of the editing work. Um, oh, I think it was maybe it was Hannah. Basically, you know, so I think she suggested that you don't edit all the, um, you know, all of your work straight away, but you just keep some on the side for a situation like this. And then at least, you know, you can, you can, uh, mm. you can come back and you have something to do. And that's exactly what I did with that shoot, because I still have, I think, one or two images um, to, to fully uh, edit and retouch on those. So, you know, that's good. But um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting shoot. I thought it was cold as heck. Oh God, wasn't it? We were on top of a um, uh, a multi-story car park, weren't we? Mm. And it was freezing. It was so windy, so yeah. so windy <laughs> to the point where <laughs> even just holding the light was <laughs> yeah. that, even that was difficult. Yeah, it was really is is really windy, and it was cold as hell. So you know, cold wind, Ugh. especially when you're right on top of the building. Mm. That mm. was terrible. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know. We came up with some good shots. It was worth it. Yeah, it was definitely worth it. Yeah, they look so, yeah. looking great. Looking absolutely yeah. great. Um, sometimes, sometimes you just have to, you know, suffer for your art. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. But um, there was was like the other day going out, and um, you know, it was pouring down. But I insisted to myself, I've got to do this. So I went out. Mm. I got. I came back. I was just drenched. Absolutely drenched. Of course, a couple of hours later. There was no rain. It was all gone. But uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, yeah, so you suffer for it, but it's worth it in the end. Yeah, I, I seem to get drenched every day because I you know, have to take the dog out. <laughs> there it is. This week's mention of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And he is... Actually, he's asleep right next to me. He's been, uh, he's been pretty good so far. Good boy. So, Solo. Yeah. Yeah, this is one one of the one of the you know hilarious things about um, doing like you know lots of Zoom meetings and everything is because there's a there's a time during the day um, you know about about midday or something when he really gets active, and so any any afternoon meeting you could be guaranteed to see the dog fly back and forth behind me, you know playing <laughs> with some toy or something going crazy, um, but he's all right. He's not a morning dog, so any anything. Anything in the morning is usually, you know, it's, it's pretty good. He's <laughs> he's just asleep. So. My kind of dog. <laughs> yeah. How how do your cats deal with the whole lockdown thing? Do you have to do you keep them inside all the time now, or do they still go out? No. Or what's the deal? No, they still go out. Let's do that. Nothing. Nothing's changed for them. Um, mm. It's only because the weather turns, they stay in by themselves half the time. Mm. 
Well, here's the thing about cats, right, that I didn't realize, and this may not be true, but it's just something I've heard. So, you know, and this is really a question that goes out to all of our listeners in North America, because I heard um, that in, in North America, cats are not allowed out of the house, or like, or people don't let the cats let their cats out of the house. Um, and, and I think the reason was because there's like natural predators or whatever. But I just wondered whether that's true, because although I'd lived in the States before, I never really had a cat, so I wouldn't know. But if you know, if you're listening to uh, to the Camera Shake podcast, uh, you know from North America, just you know send us an email or send us a Facebook message, um, or hit us up on Instagram at Camera Shake Podcast and uh, just let us know whether that's actually true. I'd be interested um, to know. So, do you let your cats out or not? Are they just house cats? Well, didn't expect to be talking about cats today. Well, there was just, just a question that came up. Actually, in fact, my, my daughter my daughter asked me about this. And I, you know, I'm like, I really don't know because um, like my family in Canada don't have cats. And I don't remember. I mean, I've never had a cat when I was, mm. when I was over there, so I don't know. Um, but anyway, so that's, you know, it may it, just um, be a rumor. It may just be fake news, man. Fake news. <laughs> the fake news media. <laughs> the fake news cat media. Yes. <laughs> It's going to happen. I'm sure it'll be on Trump's Twitter at some point. Oh, for sure. Man, oh my God. I'll tell you one thing. Or totally, this is like the non-political, political part of the show. Burn. Um, but uh, I'm not. I'm really not a Twitter user um, usually because, well, I don't know. It's just not something um, that, I, that I typically do. But um, I did follow the Trumpster. I, I follow two people on Twitter, right? The Trumpster, you know, the old Donald and Mark Hamill. Perfect combination. Love it. <laughs> if you're not following Mark Hamill on Twitter, you're going to have to follow him. His tweets are the best, bar none. <laughs> and I, I'm guessing they couldn't be polar opposites, could they? Couldn't be more. Yeah, it's just funny. You know, Great. it's just, uh, it's just, I just, you know, I just, I, you know, again, I don't really use Twitter, but I just follow that for pure entertainment purposes. So, um, you know. What's Trump going to say next? Yeah, and then what's Hamill going to say next? Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. That's cool. I like that. So, but, you know, what, what was even more worrying, we were in a meeting the other day with somebody, and when I mentioned Mark Hamill, that, that, that guy, dude, that, you know, that person went, Mark who? <laughs> like, yeah, you know Mark Hamill? Huh? Yeah, that was, that yeah. was particularly upsetting. <laughs> you, know, you know Luke Skywalker? <laughs> huh? <laughs> so, oh. You know Star Wars? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh man! Oh my God! It's either I'm getting old, or you know, or the world's coming to an end. What are the two? Yeah, yeah. Oh man! Talking about Star Wars. Talking about Star Wars. Have you have you managed to get into the uh, second season of the Mandalorian yet? I no, no, I haven't. Um, mm. I'm I'm saving it. I'm saving it. I want to binge watch it when it's all done. Ooh. Yeah, I'm kind of looking it's, forward to that day. <clears throat> you know, it's been a long time where. Um, it's been a long time since I've been like a fan of weekly release episodes. You know, like in the olden days, like when we were kids. Do you remember back in the day when, mm-hmm. like, you had to you you know we used to watch a TV show or a series, and uh, and uh, they would they would show an episode every week, right? And nowadays you can think, oh man, that's lame because I want to binge watch the whole shebang, right? Um, it's usually when, you know, I'm, I'm really not that turned on by any series that's that's released weekly. Mm. Uh, like, you know, what was it? Like Star Trek Discovery or something. I've, I've really, that's really turned me off. I watched the first couple of episodes and actually it wasn't too bad. 
it wasn't too bad at all. But because I had to wait like for a week, it was like, ugh. you know, you kind of nowadays our attention spans are so short that I feel like I, you know, I don't know. I feel like I, I lose interest quickly. But with The Mandalorian, it's the exact opposite. I loved the first two episodes and I'm like, oh man, you know, give me episode three, which has just uh, has just landed on Disney Plus. So I'm going to, that's going to be my, my evening's entertainment tonight. <laughs> See, it's interesting you say that because I, I watched both of those series, right? And I've deliberately held off Mandalorian because I loved the first season and I, mm-hmm. I just don't think I could handle waiting a week to see it, to see the next mm-hmm. one, okay? I also watched Discovery. And like you, I watched the first two or three episodes in the latest season. Mm. I've given up. Because yeah. I, I can't be bothered to wait... It, it's not as enthralling as um, Mandalorian is. And so I'm, I'm not bothered that I haven't seen it for a couple of weeks now or three weeks, mm. whatever it's been. So I think now I'm just going to wait until they're all out and I'll just start the season again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I'm just, I was so looking forward to Mandalorian uh, season two that I just have to watch it. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a long time since since there's been a show that, you know, where I really didn't mind waiting a week because I was just so looking forward to it. But, um, but yeah, so this is, uh, it's pretty good. It actually looks even, I think it looks even better than the first season. Really? You know, yeah. In, in what so, way? Well, it just visually looks even more like a movie. Oh, okay. You know, for the most part, I think it's, you know, um, they've obviously, they're pioneering a number of production um, techniques on, on mm. number lighting techniques and stuff. Um, and it looks even better. Than, um, than the first season, I think. And it's, you know, yeah, it's cool. And also, um, it, there's, you know, I'm not giving too much away, but there's, uh, you, you'll see some, there's like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple of X-Wing fighters that show up and some X-Wing fighter pilots and it kind of, it just takes you back into that universe like properly, you know? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it's good. So, yeah, I enjoy it. Oh, awesome. got me excited now. Mm. Oh yeah. No, Nick, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So you know, we're we're back on the Netflix, man. That's that's it. Mm. You know, Netflix, Disney Plus, the whole shebang. It's you know. Cool, man. So what else has been happening in the world of photography for you this week then? Um can we talk about gear? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. <Like> gear. <laughs> um so uh well as you know, I've been um, been using the uh, aperture light dome um, for for a while now, um, and yeah, it's a large modifier. It's brilliant. I love I love that thing. But there have been um, a few instances of late where it's just been a touch too big. Mm. Um, purely not necessarily in how the light differs, um, but physically, it's just been too big for the location. So I've gone out and got myself the Light Dome Mini as well, which okay. is a, you know about half the size, if not slightly smaller than that. But it's mm. give or take about half the size, and that's actually what I'm using right now instead because it's the first time first time I'm using. It. I got it the other day, and um, I really like it. Mm-hmm. It's very very cool. The light is a little bit different that comes out, as you imagine with a smaller modifier. It doesn't quite wrap as as nicely as a larger. Um, a larger one, but I'm very, very happy. I'll see when I finally, when I edit this video, but um, 
what I can see on the screen and little test shots before we started today, it looked great. It looked really, really nice. Um, so I'm very, very pleased with that. Um, you know, now I can be confident that when I do have a tighter space, I can use this and I'll get similar results to using the larger, um, the larger one. Uh, so yeah, very, very pleased with that. It's identical to the larger version, um, other than its size. Comes with all the same kind of accessories, if you like, the the, um, uh, the grid, the diffusion, and so on. Um, yeah, so hopefully it looks all right. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm using today. Um, that's my gear purchase of late. What else have I uh, got from a, on a gear perspective? Um, these. It was my birthday the other day, and I got given by from two mm. separate people who hadn't spoken to each other, they both got me these cameras. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. What are the chances? So they're um, Kodak um, brownies um, from, oh, God, I can't, I can't even remember, 60s, mm-hmm. 50s? can't remember now exactly. Uh, one's an old movie camera and a sort of 8mm. And this is a Bakelite um, sort of regular film camera. So um, they're very cool. I'm just... Uh, sourcing some uh film for them and i want to give them a go because apparently they're in working order um but yeah they're just you know not particularly expensive or anything like that but they're just nice to look at (laughs) yeah there we go so that's my uh gear for the week uh how about you yeah you know it's one of these things you know if you if you find yourself with not much else to do you end up on amazon i think is is what happens um so so yeah, there's, there's been a couple of gear purchases. Um, I, I finally, finally, after I don't even know how many years, finally bought a C-stand, believe it or not. Hey. Yeah. And um, and it's already proven to be one of these purchases, you know, where you kind of, it's just one of these facepalm moments where you just go, why the heck didn't I buy a C-stand like 15 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> like, why and of course you know they are pricey i mean as far as stands are concerned you know they're on the, on the pricey side but i tell you one thing it's it's like once you go see stand you never go back it's, <laughs> you know it's absolutely true um not only you know they're big and heavy and everything and so they're the kind of the polar opposite of what you typically look for when you look you know when you're looking for a piece of gear especially if you know that you have to take it on location and everything yeah. but the advantages really outweigh the disadvantages with that one. Um, it's big and heavy. Well, it's actually a good thing because you can put some, you know, heavy modifiers on there. Like, you know, it'll take like a 150 centimeter, um, uh, you know, softbox or something. Or Octobox, super easy, you know, with, with some heavy lights on there, no problem. Um, and uh, and it's just a solid, solid piece of gear. It's also really flexible. Mm. That's the other thing that I found. It's you, know, you can swing it around and you can get the light really close to the ground if you need to. Um, you know, it's I've I've actually found it to be um, very useful. And it it sort of takes a little bit of worry out of setting up lights and modifiers and stuff like that. Um, I also find that I don't really have to counterbalance it very much with uh, with sandbags or something like that. Um, it seems to be you know pretty pretty damn solid. So you know um, I like it. And again, it's, it's one of these things where you just go like, why haven't I invested in that before? It's a bit like I think you know anybody who moves from 
you know, any photographer who who starts photography as a hobby and then eventually moves into maybe the the world of you know, semi professional photography and into professional photography, one of the things I think everybody always says is like the first proper expensive tripod I bought was one of the best investments I've ever made, and I can totally you know testify to that because I know that you know the first really expensive uh, tripod that I that I forked out for is a tripod that I've been using time and time and time and time and time again. And it's just as solid now as it was when I bought it years ago. And, you know, it's a similar thing that I that I feel about the uh, the C-Stand. It's just, you know, such a useful piece of gear. Um, and a lot of the other stands that I've been using, you know, so far really pale into, you know, fade into insignificance, mm. as they say, <laughs> in comparison to that. Um, so that was good. Uh, the other thing I actually bought was um, I just bought another Octobox, which you know I don't know. I have this thing about modifiers. I, I don't know what it is. It's, maybe it's like a slight obsession or something. I bought a smaller, um, a smaller Octobox, and uh, it's probably it's more practical to take on location or to travel. It's great for headshots. Um, you know, it's a little bit smaller than than uh, the one that I've been using. Um, you know, normally, and um, and it probably. I'm always interested in the light fall off uh, when it comes to, especially with headshots. I'm interested in the light fall off, especially sort of on the, the top of the chest. Um, and I like to play around with that. So this is just you know, mm. um, a small investment. They're not they're not terribly expensive, um, but no, it's just another thing to play around with. And actually, you're the you're to blame, really, for me actually buying the uh light dome mini <laughs> really so i um you mentioned that you just had that delivery all right okay for, for oh, that yeah. softbox and i thought god I f- it just got me into gear to looking at it again because I've, I've been yeah. thinking about buying it for quite a while yeah and uh just never really got around to it because of you know we've been in lockdown it hasn't been as needed just yet and then you've mm. got that and i thought I'm going to look again. So I did. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, Amazon is dangerous really sometimes because yeah. you can put stuff into your, uh, into your shopping cart and you, you know, and you don't have to buy it. You just keep it for later. Um, and then the more, but you know, the more often you look at it, the more likely you end up yeah. being, you know, actually buying it. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, but you know, it's again, it's fun. I, you know, I'm constantly uh, toying around with different modifiers and different um, different lighting setups and, and backgrounds. I'm quite obsessed with backgrounds as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, the other thing I did actually, this is um, this is really something I really got into was um, I, you know, at first when when we first got into this this lockdown, I sort of thought, oh, damn it, that means you know the lab that I, that I usually uh, use to have prints done that's going to be shut down and everything. And so, but it turned out they're open. Um, and so I kind of took this as an opportunity to, uh, get some more prints made, um, and, uh, you know, and, and frame them and, and put them up around the house. So that was fun because, you know, as I think in, in this day and age, I actually think we, as photographers, very often we, we don't print enough and it's, you know, there, there is something to, um, actually getting your hands on a print and actually seeing you work, um, in print and everything, you know, it's. There is, there really is something to it. 
um, there's something really beautiful to it. And, yeah. Um, there was, uh, you know, I had some time to, um, to play around with that, which was great. Um, and although I don't print at home, um, I use a, uh, a lab and I have been using a lab in a particular lab in town, um, for years. And, um, it's, you know, as per usual, the kind of results that I got back were really outstanding. So how did you, um, how did you settle on that? Cause I know you've been using that lab for a long time now. How did you mm-hmm. settle on that lab? What is it that they do differently perhaps to, um, an, you know, any other lab? Well, why did you, why do you like them? Well, I mean, I remember in the beginning, you know, I've been searching around, um, I've been trying out different labs and, and I think like, you know, when you live in a small town like me, um, you know, I live in a, a small town on the outskirts of London and you can kind of, I mean, it's, you know, it's, you can argue about whether it's a suburban, it's a, it's a suburban town just out on the outskirts of London. And of course we, we have a little local lab here, um, but it really isn't very good. It's just one of these chain kind of labs and it's not, um, you know, it's way overpriced and the quality is terrible mm. basically. Mm-hmm. So it really isn't a, the, you know, is the professional standard that that you that you would uh, that you would normally that you would need? Um, and so, you know, I've tried out lots of different labs, um, and somebody recommended this this particular uh, lab to me. It's called the Print Space. It's in um, in in London, in, in an area um, near a place called Old Street. Um, and what I really, I tell you what I really like about this lab is you can, of course, you can kind of you can you can email the files in and they print it and they send you. They send they send the stuff the prints back to you uh, within a day or two is really very quick, um, but you can also walk in. Uh, you can walk in. They have like you know a whole range of monitors you could use, or you can bring in your own laptop, whatever they color uh, calibrate you know, your laptop or your monitor for you, which is cool. And you can uh, get the the prints or the files print ready then. Um, but the guys who run this lab are real color nerds. <laughs> That's how I call them, um, and. Uh, and I've really, I've really found that to make a difference. Um, the prints that I've gotten back from them, and I'm not, we're not sponsored by them or in any way, shape, or form, but um, it's just my own personal experience is that whenever I've given them any work to uh, to print, uh, the prints that I've gotten back were really outstanding. And so, you know, you go with what you've got, what you've made good experiences with, and that's just for me. It's just, um, you know, it's just all guys. You know, I like the prints. <laughs> what can I say? It's um it's not something I ever really do um printing, but you're mm. kind of gearing me up to want to to print some more because I generally don't have many photos up around the house because I I'm I'm because I rent and I've rented for a few years now. I generally don't put stuff up because I can't be bothered to uh, take care of it when I move out. Oh, <laughs> but um yeah no I need to get I need to get a few few printed up I think. It's uh, I think. Once you see the difference between, um, well, once you see the difference between you just using your regular home printer printing something out, uh, uh, but also once you see the difference between, um, you know, a, a pro lab like that and um, just your local, you know, what are they called? Happy snaps or something? Happy snappy snaps. Sna- sna- snappy snaps or something. <laughs> like, like, you know, your, your local high street uh, kind of lab. Um, there's a real, there's a major difference there and it's incredible. Mm. You know, um, and it's sort of, I always find it quite humbling, you know, when you see your own work uh, printed like that, you know, um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's, it's really satisfying. Um, and, you know, prints, 
I never really, I mean, I personally, I never used to print very much. And I think that changed when I got married and I actually got, well, so when I got married, um, our Daniel Akeley, who we've interviewed on, on this podcast in the past, you know, he shot, he shot our wedding and, um, we didn't expect any prints at all. That wasn't part of, part of the agreement, you know, um, uh, because we had a very small wedding and it was, you know, um, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, and we really weren't expecting any prints, but, uh, what, what happened was, you know, we received the digital, the digital files, you know, a few weeks after we got back from honeymoon and that was awesome. You know, the, the pictures look great, but a few weeks after that, we got a parcel in the post and it was a, a wooden box with a selection of prints in it. And it, it was really, it's a really beautiful experience to just, you know, to, to take these, these prints and look at them. And we've got, you know, that box is, is on our windowsill in the living room. And we, we, uh, we look at our photos really on a regular basis, you know, and you just wouldn't do that if you only had digital files. And the thing is like, that that's really is the difference with prints. I feel that just simply because we have this box of prints that we look at our wedding photos much more often than, than if we just had the digital files on a computer or something, you know? So, um, and that's really first, that, that's, that really made me think because, because before that in my you know, professional work, I, there was really no need to print, you know, because with, uh, with a lot of uh, corporate headshots and all the rest of it, um, it really is all digital files. There really is, uh, there's no printing involved. And even, you know, even uh, when it comes to actors headshots, there really is no printing involved on my part. It's all, you know, it's all digital and the same with event photography um, and so on. So it's, you know, because I don't, I don't really shoot weddings. Um, there's never really been a need to put together photo albums or print uh, or prints or, you know, or frame things or whatever. So um, yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things that really got me, got me thinking again about the whole idea of, of printing photographs. Um, it's so easy to get, you know, to get kind of drawn into the world of digital that you, that you tend to forget how beautiful it actually is to hold an actual, to look at a print, you know, to just look at your photo on that medium, you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm actually even more fascinated by printed photographs now than I was before that, mm. you know? With, um, um, you know, I, th- I think what you say is absolutely right. And it's so easy to have 10,000 photos on your hard drive. You never no. look at them. You, they, no. they, and they just sit there, right? But yeah. so, you know, you've, insp- you've, you've inspired me to go and get, 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 a, few, get a few printed up. Um, would, there, would you have any um, sort of words of caution or advice before I send a picture off to get printed um, to make sure that it comes back looking how I expect it to look? Well, I mean, that's just really two things. Ideally, you know, color calibrate your um, your monitor because mm-hmm. the one of, one of the main issues that you have uh, if you compare a print to the image that you see on the screen is the fact that the uh, your screen may be differently calibrated. And so it's really important to uh, to to make sure that that's you know taken care of. Um, and there's there's a number of different ways you could do it. You can get something called a spider, which you basically sort of 
you know, plop on your screen, uh, plug it into the USB port, run the software, it does everything for you, and then uh, should be you know should be good to go. Um, because on a screen, you know, your your image is backlit. I mean, screen is backlit essentially, so the colors will come out slightly differently from mm. from the way that they they'll appear in the print, and they they can be there can be a major major difference if your screen is out of whack and it's not calibrated uh, correctly. So your images could be there could be a complete color shift. They could just be too warm or too cold. It's just, you know, um, and it's disappointing when you get something, you edit something and you think it looks perfect, you know, absolutely beautiful on the screen. Then you get the print back and you go, uh, that doesn't look like what it looks like on the screen at all. And so you want to get that as close as you, as you possibly can. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is, um, no matter which lab you use, always make sure that, um, that you read their instructions as to how to prepare the file. That's really, really important um, in terms of color space and you know whatever they suggest because because labs use different printers or processes or whatever and uh, you know um, and if you know if you're if you can't find any of these instructions um, on their website you know just get in touch with them and, and say like hey is there anything I need to look out for you know which color space do you suggest I use you know is there anything I need to uh, set up in Photoshop before you know before I press send mm-hmm. <laughs> basically so that's really you know that's the main thing uh, as long as you take care of all these things um then then you should get you know the printed results should be as close to what you can see on your screen um, as possible there's a i mean you could really dive into that you know there's a whole bunch of things um you can do um the light you know your like the, the way that your room is lit when you're editing is that can make a difference um you know, depending on what your ambient light is, is like, whether you're um, whether you're working in a room that's predominantly lit by daylight, like window light or something, or whether you've got tungsten lighting on, or you know, all of these things have an impact on the way you, you perceive colors, mm-hmm. the way we perceive colors, and so that's that's just something to uh, to look into. Um, it's a it's a rabbit hole. I know people who are total and utter color nerds. <laughs> you know. Um, it's, you know, I mean, it really goes from taking the picture, making sure that your uh, white balance, your color balance is, is correct down to editing on a monitor that's color calibrated to then making sure that all your settings are the way they should be so that, um, the lab can, um, can handle a file and print something that, that reflects what you want. Um, as long as you're, you're taking care of all of these things then you should be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course you want to use a lab that's, you know, that's good. So like I said, you know, I've used some high street labs before and, and the results that I've gotten back from them are pretty much always off. And I just, you know, somebody presses a button, you know, and that's it. <laughs> and then, well, and, uh, you know, in the, in the past I've, you know, just some quick holiday snaps or something like that. I've, taken into somewhere like yeah, one of those high street chains um, I've, I can't remember which one it, one it would have been now and I remember talking to um, you know the girl, girl behind the counter who was um, serving me at the time she said uh, you know to be done in whatever they do some correction on photos which I mm. was not aware of that they do that I don't know if they do it all the time or whether it's when certain people are working or, or what, but they 
they edit the photos in a way. In, in and I bet it's as much as hitting auto in uh, Lightroom style. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. That's not good. I, mean, I guess for the Joe public, it's actually it's probably a good thing for them. Um, and I bet those photos do come out slightly better than had they had no no work done on them whatsoever. But um, yeah, I, it's worth if you if you are going to go to use a high street chain, and you've already edited your photo and you want them, you know, to look at least close to what you've done. Make sure you mention to them. Don't don't do any touch up on these. Don't do anything to these. Just print it as it is. Um, so yeah, I wasn't aware that they did that. The thing about um, labs doing their own corrections is, you know, generally, I mean, you always have to think about who, you know, who you're dealing with as a customer. Yeah. I think if you're, you know, back in the day when everybody used to shoot um, on film, like in the pre-digital era, um, the vast majority, um, you know, of films would be like holiday snaps, for example. And of course, you want to make sure that as many as possible of these shots on the 36, you know, frame roll or something would be usable. So they would make corrections in terms of, um, you know, the crop or the colors or the exposure or whatever. So that, you know, when, when you get the, the photos back, um, you'd have as many images as possible that, that you could use as, you know, memories or something from your recent holiday yeah. or something. Um, but of course, for you know, when you want to get a professional print made, that's a whole different ballgame. It's just, you yeah. know, because you want to be the one, the, the person in control. And I mean, there's a lot to be said for printing at home or printing stuff yourself. And I know a lot of people who uh, who do that. And it's it's almost like a craft in its own right, you know. Um, and uh, it's definitely, I mean, it's interesting. It's also quite, it's, it's really quite expensive. You know, mm. that's, that's the other thing to bear in mind. So, you know, it's, uh, we've got a visitor. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. We've got a dog visiting, have we? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, there he is. Oh, the joys of working from home. <laughs> and in today's episode of the Camera Shake Podcast, we're going to be interviewing our latest guest, Mr. Solo. Muttley. <laughs> <laughs> Muttley. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you one thing, though. I've, I've actually come across a really cool story that really links in really well with... Um, this whole conversation about printing and everything. Um, because I read about a story about the oldest people to ever be photo, uh, photo, photo photographed before. I'm trying to work out what word you were about to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so we've in the past, in a distant past, we've, you know, we've, we've talked about the, the first uh, photograph of a human ever, you know, to be taken everything. Mm. But um, so this this story is really quite interesting because I wasn't really aware of that. So um, back in the 1840s, uh, Matthew Brady uh, basically brought the uh, daguerreotype photographic process to the United States for the first time, right? And so he'd come across that in, in France. And um, just for those uh, viewers or listeners who are not aware of what daguerreotype is, it's basically it's a photographic uh, process whereby you take a sheet of silver... Uh, plated copper and um, you treat that with uh, with fumes um, to make it light sensitive essentially and then you expose that to light and then uh, you make the image visible 
um, by uh, fuming it with with mercury fumes or mercury vapor, and uh, then you transfix the image, and that's that's basically how you create the the final image. Um, so it's a really it was the first um, photographic process that was really publicly available, right? And so therefore it became very popular, um, and it really um, it very quickly it was. Uh, it's created around about 1840, 1839 or something, um, by by Louis Daguerre um, in France, and it, be, yeah, it became super popular. And it really uh, it became very popular in the United States really, really quickly thereafter. Um, and so it was uh, it was first brought to the United States by uh, Matthew Brady, and um, so he started uh, he set up a photographic studio in New York in the 1840s. And what was interesting was that. That for a lot of the the sort of younger generation, they really looked at this uh, this this newfangled photography thing um, with with a bit of suspicion, um, and it was actually the older generation that you know those people who were born in the seventeen hundreds who thought it would be a good idea um, to to sit to sit for him and and uh, and have him take you know photographs. And so what we end up with as a result of that is, you know, photographs of, of people who were born in the 1700s. And these, that's really the oldest generation of, of people who were ever photographed. And it's, it's really quite fascinating to look at some of those, uh, some of those pictures and to look at, uh, first of all, I mean, to look at the way they're dressed, I always find it really interesting. Um, and, you know, to, the way they, um, they kind of, uh, you know, the way they looked and everything, but what's really interesting about these uh, these photographs is also to kind of see the look in their eyes. It was just because mm. this to them must have been this was like brand new technology. They would have never experienced anything like it, and so the the kind of the look of wonder and confusion <laughs> you know, in their faces. It's, like, it's really very fascinating uh, when you look at those. So um, that was a, that was quite a that was uh, you know. An endearing story that I that I came across. How um how how long did they have to hold still for for a photo back then? Um, so with the Garrett it really depends on how much light there is. Um, so it could be several minutes or uh, several seconds, mm. depending on the conditions. You know, uh, so in broad daylight, uh, because you're getting you're trying to get these chemicals to react essentially yeah. um, to the sunlight, and so if you're in broad daylight, like in bright in bright sunlight, for example, it could just be a few seconds. Um, but if you're, you know, in a, like, you know, if the lighting conditions aren't ideal, then, you know, it could be several minutes, I guess. Mm. So that's why um, in all those, you know, days gone by photos, no one ever smiled. Because you could, you could have to hold, you might have to hold a smile for six minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's also why, you know, very often they, they look like they had a, like a broomstick, you know. Yeah. down the shirt or something um it's because it's yeah, it's difficult um there's yeah, a different different times yeah indeed times. That's but cool, I just, yeah, i'd like to see those yeah it's it's a it's sort of a little i don't know i always find it interesting also you know i find it interesting um with photography i also find it interesting with film we've talked about this before you know looking at film footage from the you know the turn of the century um where you know you see people they the 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 way they walked and the way they kind of they moved back then um when you see this corrected not only colorized but also corrected um in terms of frame rates and everything and you actually realize that despite what you may have thought 
previously by watching old black and white, you know, uh, footage, uh, by realizing that actually they didn't really move that differently from the way that people move today. It's it's really quite an eye opener. It's literally like a window into the past, you yeah. know, um, and it almost makes you feel like you're there in a weird way, you know, yeah. and to realize that all of that's real and it's not, you know, it's not actors or anything or sets or whatever. S- some um, of those are, yeah, they're, they're really odd to watch, but they're just captivating. That's uh, captivating. To, That's exactly the word. Yeah, you know, to see um, to see you know footage that historically you would have seen as you know you know jumpy and you know done it four frames a second or whatever you know whatever yeah, it might absolutely. be, and you know the quality was always obviously bad, but to see them done in the way they are, that it could just be shot in your street, you know, it's just un, unreal. And it reminds reminded me of. Um, and I'm I'm going I'm blanking on the name, but I saw a, a post the other day on that someone had put up on uh, on social to a link to someone who's been who's taken photos in various locations across the world, mm. um, and superimposed uh, an old photo which was taken uh, not necessarily the same angle or anything like that, but there or thereabouts of historical moments. You know, you know, back in World War One, World War Two, things like that. So there's a mm-hmm. shot, I think, in in Paris, where they've, you know, Hitler was there, for example, and they've put mm-hmm. them next to the per- person that's taken the photo, and it's just, and you know, on you know, in Normandy and places like that, and you know, yeah. all of those kind of shots, and it's quite, it, it makes you stop and think and think, well, you know, if you've been to these places. It just puts another spin. Say, hey, remember that this this happened here. This is what was going on here. You know, yeah, eight, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years ago, whatever the topic was in, the, in that photo. And it's just, wow, you've got to remember that these things happened and right where you're standing as well. If you had a time machine and you had one trip, right, one trip only, where would you go? Oh, God. Uh uh <laughs> a return trip i mean you can come back so basically there's one one place in time that you could that you could visit where would you go which well i think it would have to be into the future and i'd have to get some kind of trainers that did themselves up <laughs> <laughs> awesome actually haven't we passed that year already in uh from back to the future i think yeah oh yeah yeah we have yeah yeah so bizarre so how wrong they were <laughs> Well, so was Terminator because all that happened in 1999 or something. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. When machines took over the world. Oh, wait a minute. Did that happen? No. No, just, just <laughs> well, Trump. Or, or maybe it did. Maybe it did. Because according to, um, you know, uh, the latest article that I, that I read on, uh, on, on Petapix, I think it was, or somewhere, um, there's a whole discussion going on about uh, whether AI... You know, now now that AI is taking over uh, photo retouching, you know, this is whole uh, this whole debate um, about whether that's you know whether that's a good idea or whether it's going to take away, um, well, actually whether it's going to cost jobs was one of the mm. well, yeah. one of the ideas. You know, it's a valid uh, concern. Retouchers might be out of a job. True. <laughs> you know? Well, speaking of all of that. That reminds me of the most disturbing thing I've ever seen that happened this week. Mm. And this this was just, um, it just made made me physically sick. 
You know, it was mm. that horrendous. And that was seeing your face on Victoria Beckham's body. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that made me physically sick. <laughs> it was. The, oh, no, Scott, that was the worst one. It was you as Daniel Radcliffe in Harry Potter, um, where he's taking off, it looks like lingerie in it. I'm not sure what scene that was in in, uh, in Harry Potter, but that, yeah. that was more disturbing to see you like that. Uh, I, I tell you, I mean, that it's an app called Reface. Um, so, so what that app does is it basically uh, takes a still image of, of you and it scans your face, whatever, and then it essentially um, applies your face to the face of whatever actor in some movie clip, right? And, um, and we've seen these things, you know, uh, before, like over the last couple of years or something, there's, there's been lots of. Um, you know, YouTube clips or something where somebody's refaced a, a famous movie scene, right? From, I don't know, Indiana Jones or whatever. And it's, you know, or Back to the Future, in fact. In fact, I saw um, I saw a video where they've uh, they're taking Eric Stoltz's uh, face and they've basically put that onto Michael J. Fox's, mm-hmm. you know, character. Um, and they uh, they had a bunch of, uh, of uh, scenes from Back to the Future, you know, playing with Eric Stoltz as... Marty McFly, and of course Eric Stoltz was the original actor cast for yeah. uh, Back to the Future, and then uh, for whatever reason got fired or was let go, or whatever, and Michael J. Fox took over, and so they had uh, you know they had they basically refaced some of the some of Michael mm-hmm. J. Fox's scenes, and it looks really surprisingly real, mm. right? Um, and of course there's a danger there, you know, because uh, you could you could uh, take somebody's like an actor's or a politician's face and put it on somebody else's head and, you know, make them say things that they never actually said, for example, and this, that could be potentially abused in some way. Right. So there's, there's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a worry there, but this app, um, uh, came out and I, I wanted to see how realistic I wanted to see, first of all, how easy it was to reface you have to put your face or my face onto some uh, onto some movie clip, and I also wanted to see how realistic it actually looked. And uh, I mean, I have to say, I was really I was um, shocked and surprised to see how not only how easy it was, but also how uh, realistic the results looked. I mean, as you know, it was um, it and was quick really, too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was quick. It was just three seconds. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so from a processing point of view, and all this happens on your phone. Mind you, you know, it's, 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 a, it's an app. It's a phone app. And so, sorry, it's a phone app. So it's like, you know, it's literally seconds. I mean, the computational power in your phone uh, now supersedes the computational power of the space shuttle, apparently. Yes, it does. <laughs> so, it definitely does. You know, so, um, so yeah, it was surprising. And in this app, you, you have like a whole selection of different movie clips that you can choose from. Um, and it'll literally just, and you know, the funny thing was, it was not, it was not only that it's taking my face, but also the original photo that I, that I told the app to use was a black and white photo. Really? Yeah. It was a black and white photo. Hmm. And so it, yeah. And it, it not only did it color my face in, but it, it just, you know, so it was like, whoa, okay. That's, you know, that's shocking. And then I kind of thought, wouldn't it be funny if I put my face onto like some characters that would that really don't, you know, they don't look anything like me. So I, I put my face on the Spice Girls. Yeah. 
know. <laughs> stuff like that. You know, so it's, uh, it's, I mean, it's funny. Mm. It's fun to play around with um, for a bit, but uh, at the same time, it's kind of worrying as well. You know, so, um, so yeah, it was worth worth an experiment. You know, I'm going to do it later and I'm going to send that video to you. So you have to look at me as a Spice Girl. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So again, here for our listeners. So what, what happened was, you know, I got this app. Um, I put my face in a lot of movie clips that kept sending them to Nick. <laughs> 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 so that wasn't, uh, you know. I had nightmares. Ah, oh, I bet, yeah. That was the idea. Seeing you as a bearded woman. Hey, I noticed another clip uh, taken from Game of Thrones, I think. Mm. <laughs> face that was just equally hilarious. So, but yeah, you can be anybody. You can be Batman. I think you can be Spider-Man. You can be Indiana Jones, you know. You can be Superman, I think. Yeah, yeah. That's um, pretty good. Yeah, you're going to get a barrage of these later. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever refaced your own face onto somebody else's uh, onto somebody else's character, you know, please send us the clips because we really want to see those. <laughs> Again, hit us up on Instagram as at Podcast or send us an email. It's camerashakepodcast at gmail.com um, or hit us up on Facebook. In fact, if you're not following us on Facebook already, do that right now. And for those of you listening to the audio version of this podcast, um, actually head over to YouTube and give us a subscribe because it was really it would really help us um, a lot. Um, and not only that, of course, uh, if you do love the audio version of this um, and you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, if you, if you go to the show and you scroll down to the very bottom, leave us a review. Um, we would love to uh, to hear what you think of uh, of the Camera Shake podcast. Now, um, coming back to the the whole uh, AI debate. I mean, this this article was really actually was quite interesting. It, it did make me think because we talked about um, the new version of Photoshop and the Adobe Sensei mm-hmm. um, AI um, that's behind it. And uh, and of course, you know, just as a recap, the latest version of Photoshop. Uh, allows you to do some incredible things like the sky replacement feature is incredible it's so easy and um, it gives you so much flexibility it's literally you know at a click of a button you can replace a whole sky in your photograph and make it look you know much more i don't know dramatic or whatever um and the masking is actually it's pretty damn good so you can save you a ton of time when you're when you're editing could be really quite useful on the flip side are we going to be seeing the same sky in every other photo on instagram you know, that's, that's the other question. Um, and so the, uh, there's another thing that's, that's new in, uh, in Photoshop 2021, and that's the, the neural filters. And those filters really make it super easy to, um, to execute a, a number of um, retouching processes that previously took a lot of time uh, and effort. Like, for instance, skin retouching. Uh, you know, facial retouches, um, you can... Um, you can take the makeup from one photo and apply it to the model in another photo, you know, with with the click of a of a button. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, where artificial intelligence really seems to take over, and it just seems to allow you to do things super quickly. Um, and the whole debate was, well, is that a, is that a good thing? Does it take away from the uh, from the artistry? Um, you know, is it? Do we lose? I don't know, the personal touch when it comes to retouching, you know, or should we embrace the progress uh, of technology? And this is really something that can just save us a ton of time in, in post-production. And so, and so the opinions are split. 
I think that um, I would say embrace, you know, uh, at the end of the day, all of these things are just another tool, right? And that, that's what they are. They're no more, they're no less. They're another tool. Provided that you know when and how to use them and when not to use them, I don't see the harm in them. You know, it's, you know, are you going to be using those on every photo? No. Is there something that one of those neural filters can do that you either would have spent ages doing previously or didn't have the skill yet to do, then great, use it. If that gets you a step forward, if you can go back and, you know, or almost reverse engineer how it's doing it and then learn from that as well, great. Mm. It's amazing. But this is all about, you know, just take the sky replacement thing. That's been around forever. People have been doing that for the longest time. They just now make it easier to do. Um, perhaps, perhaps a mistake was giving you a set of skies in the tool. <laughs> um, maybe if they'd just not given you any and you had to go and take your own, then that might have uh, that might stop <laughs> the same skies turning up here and there. Um, but I, I don't see an issue with it at all, provided you just use it at the right times. What do you think? Um, it's one of these things. I mean, I, I sort of think that, you know, it's, um, it, you know, it's either, either you embrace progress and new technologies and then you'll see it as a positive or, you know, or, um, you're sort of of the opinion that, you know, it, it's all about the artisanship and like the, you know, the, the, the craftsmanship that needs to go, that goes into, um, retouching you know photographs and and um and you you know you assert your own personal style um and all that kind of stuff and, and then of course you'd, you'd be looking at this um quite critically I, I mean i think it's you know probably if if you look back you know historically over technological developments in photography or in the creative arts in general in particular in photography then your new technologies tend to come in from time to time and they tend to take over. Like, I mean, you know, moving from film to digital, for example, I mean, even like moving to 35 millimeter film originally, mm -hmm. you know, and then, um, you know, moving to DSLRs and then moving to, um, to digital and all, and all the rest of it. And, um, uh, you know, and the introduction of Photoshop in the first place, you know, being able to digitally manipulate um, your photographs, uh, you know, on a computer, that really, you know, I'm pretty sure back then you had people who, you know, were defending these processes, you know, in the in the dark room back in the day, you know. So I think what's what's really happened every time is that, you know, those people who embraced these new technologies then were able to move on and push the creative envelope yeah. even further. And I think, you know, that's it's probably something i mean it's probably an opportunity you know uh, now for for that to happen because you can you can let you can let ai do certain things which basically allows you then to actually take your creative thinking and just push that beyond just the sky replacement you know mm -hmm. maybe you know so um so this this might actually open up you know more creativity um in in photography in general you know there, there are shots there's there's a whole ton of stuff on instagram right now that 
you know, you really wouldn't have seen 20 years ago. Yep. You know, before the advent of Photoshop, you just wouldn't see these shots. Um, the, you know, the kind of composites, the really creative uh, compositing that's, uh, that's happening um, a lot of the time. It's, you know, so I'm just interested, personally, I'm just interested in, in seeing what the next level is going to be after that. You know, what are people going to come up with with next? You know, that's, that is what I'm curious about personally, you know. Mm. So, um, you know, and, and I mean, I, th I think for anybody who's had to, you know, hand retouch, I don't know, you know, even just like 30 headshots in a row, you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, if you can click a button and it's, you know, because the reality is also, I mean, purely, you know, from a... um like say, take take a corporate headshot type of situation, you know, where you're shooting, um, you shoot you're shooting images that will end up, you know, like 120 by 100, like 120 by 200 pixels or something at the bottom of a, of an email signature or something like that. You know, if you can press a button and the, the and and enhance the retouching on those, great because because that's really as good as it needs to be. Do you know what I mean? If you're doing something for, uh, you know, some advertising campaign and it goes into a billboard or on the side of a bus or the side of a building, that's a whole different ballgame. You know, so I think there's horses for courses. Yeah. You know, again, I mean, we talked about this last time when we talked about uh, the new Photoshop version. You know, if you're a real estate photographer and you need to, uh, to replace disguise as standard, and this will basically save you a couple of hours of work and you can go and have a coffee instead, <laughs> you know, why would you do that? It's great. Um, because most likely, and this is like, just by looking around, you know, we're looking at uh, like real estate, you know, um, what do you call it? So what is it called? It's not real estate. Uh, what's it called in the UK? Uh, real estate's fine. Um, yeah, you know, they, like real estate shops or whatever. Um, you, are you, oh, you're looking for estate agents, aren't you? Oh, estate agents, that's <laughs> the one, yeah. Yeah, I always get confused. So yeah, over the... Over here in the UK, uh, realtors are called estate agents. And so uh, you very often see uh, the property photographs in the in the shop windows. And nine times out of 10, you can tell that the, the skies have been replaced uh, very often badly, actually. And so, you know, <laughs> if, if that gives, you know, if, if that um, allows um, some of those, you know, real estate photographers to do a better job, then great. Mm -hmm. You know, I personally don't think there's anything, anything wrong with that. Um, I mean, it would get a little bit tiresome if, like, if you opened up Instagram and you see you see the same sky on like every other photo. That would be extremely boring. But hey, you know. Well, so we will see, won't we? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> apparently, uh, Skylum's Luminar. Um, it's uh, apparently there's a, there's some new uh, AI coming out um, there as well in the, in the not too distant oh. future. So that'd be interesting. Um, personally, I haven't used Luminar personally. But I know from having spoken to a lot of friends um, who who have loved it, because Lumina has been able to um, or has allowed you to to do the whole sky replacement thing, you know, for a while. So Photoshop have been a little bit late uh, to the party with that. Um, although, ha actually, I've spoke to a, a friend of mine only a few days ago um, about the differences uh, or how how they how our Lumina and Photoshop compare in the way that they replace the sky and. Actually, you know, I've been told hands down um, in Photoshop, 
the masking is better and, and apparently you have more flexibility with layers and stuff afterwards to go in and uh, and um you know and refine that even more if you need to so you know well it's, it seems to be it seems to be going into an interesting direction mm, mm, for sure for sure well let's see uh see what comes out next yeah and of course you know we can we can debate the uh the pros and cons of the subscription system you know uh but of course if if you are subscribed to um adobe's creative suite or the photography package or something and of course you've got the advantage that you get the latest the latest versions and the latest updates all of the time and so you know it's it's yeah. easy to keep up with with all of that yeah for sure Having said that, here's another thing. I you may be able to, to clue me up on this. Maybe I don't know. I don't know how far you've, you've looked into that. But uh, you know, Apple have come out with their with their own proprietary chip recently, mm-hmm. and I can't remember, just remind me what it's called. Oh, ARM, ARM. Yeah. So, uh, but apparently, Adobe, um, Adobe uh, apps are, are not certified to run on that just yet brilliant i hadn't heard that um that doesn't surprise me though that doesn't surprise me um the the only things i've really read about it because i'm steering clear of it for a while um i'm not interested in upgrading just yet to until it's gone through a couple of generations and they've ironed out the issues because software relies on the processor so much it needs to work in a specific way and the software needs to be able to work with that processor correctly. And I guess there must be tons of work that's required for programs like Photoshop or or Premiere Pro that if it doesn't talk to it perfectly, it can cause major, major issues. Mm. So I'm not surprised to hear that. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, it's early days. It was only... Only just announced recently, so yeah, you know. But it's I, I expect there to be problems like that for a long time. Yeah, um, yeah. In a couple of years, uh, we'll be talking. Yeah, it'll be different. But you know, I, I haven't seen any real, um, real world examples yet. But they were saying that things like um, Final Cut, obviously, it's made by Apple, so I'm sure it works perfectly with their new mm. chips. A lot of that is is running at like you know five or six times faster is what I read in the announcement. Oh, really? um, what exactly is running five or six times faster? I don't know. Is it does it really work that way in real world situations? I don't know that yeah. either. Yeah, but that's what they were saying. So if they can get that level of performance increase um, over the next couple of years with all of that kind of software, mm. they're onto a winner. Then that said, are Intel keeping up with that? Probably in the background. Let's let's see what happens. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, I think we've come to the end of episode thirty. Meant thirty. Thirty weeks. My age. Ha. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm, I'm. I'm. You know. I turned thirty. I, I turned thirties the other day. Thirties. Yeah. So I guess a bit of an anniversary, really. 30 weeks? Yes. Um, it's quite a milestone, that. Um, don't worry. We'll say the same again when we hit 50. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Or 40. <laughs> or 50. Or 100. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, but it's it's kind of a, you know, it's funny to think that we've been doing this for 30 weeks. And I know we're saying this pretty much every week, but, you know, like 30 weeks, is that's a lot of weeks, man. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, I keep talking to you, haven't I, every week now? I know. Damn it. All good. <laughs> anyway, so um, again, you know, if you haven't, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, you'll find us um, uh, just search for Camera Shake Podcast on YouTube. It would help us out a ton. Um, we need to hit the 100 subscriber limit so that we can actually name our channel on YouTube. So that'd be, uh, that'd be fantastic. Um, alternatively, if you're listening to the audio version of this um, and you're listening on Apple Podcasts on the app, uh, just scroll down to the bottom and leave us a review. That'd be fantastic. Otherwise, just get in touch. Um, send us a comment um, on YouTube or, you know, uh, send us an email, get in touch on Facebook um, or follow us on Instagram at Camera Shake Podcast. That being said, we'll see you next time from the home studio um, when it's time for, well, episode 31. <laughs> <laughs>